our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 16 and 22, and also from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our preacher this morning is Reverend Tom Adams. Tom is an ordained Presbyterian minister and a licensed marriage, family, and child therapist in Washington State. He's in private practice and um, also has served as a pastor in congregations in Southern California and in Washington State. As a therapist, he has served the homeless in downtown LA. He's worked with families dealing with HIV and AIDS and supervised a clinic in East LA and in private practice as well, and working with people in the television and film industry. Tom is a graduate of Whitworth University, Fuller Theological Seminary, Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Phillips Graduate Institute. He is married to Karen, who is a US history teacher and he is also the father of Daniel Adams, who, of course, is on our staff. And we are so grateful for Tom joining us this morning to bring us God's word. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Hopefully you can hear me. I think I'm off mute. Online. Hey, I'm honored to be here. 
at the invitation of your pastors, Garrett and Nikki. Um, you know, perhaps the most important credential that I've got is being the father to Daniel Adams and the father-in-law to Marie and the grandpa to Jonathan Caleb. Um, I know you're all praying for me, but pray especially for Daniel. I know he's nervous because he can never tell for sure what's going to uh, come out of his old man's mouth. <clears throat> this is a first for me. I'm, I'm warning you, there are many firsts. Um, this is the first time I've preached on Zoom. This is the first time um, I've preached in my slippers. Um, this is the first time I've ever preached this early in the morning, except on a sunrise service, and I swore I'd never do that again, but here I am. Love compels me. And I, I just got to say that um, I've had many opportunities to worship with you both in person and by Zoom, um, and I confess that there are times I visited worship just to hear Kelly's children's sermons. She does an amazing thing with Legos. It's totally captivating. Um, I have written this sermon about three times, um, and and I realized finally that we were. I was just trying to pack way too much into it, and um, because this was Deacon Sunday, this was really the background to understanding this Galatians passage is really to understand Stephen, the first deacon. That's how far back you have to go in the text to really understand the line of the gospel that Paul was challenging Peter um, to stay true to, to stay in a line with, because everything that Paul wrote in Galatians is based on the deacon's, uh, uh, Stephen's sermon in Acts. But I'm not going to be able to go into the, that deep, and uh, you'll be grateful for it. Um, mostly this morning, I want to encourage you as you have been an encouragement to me. When I am with you, I see powerful evidence of the the evidence I see isn't what we typically consider to be a spiritual manifestation, but for the Apostle Paul, it is the most important sign of Christ there could be. Now, to help us get a visual of what I'm wrestling with this morning, I want to begin um, with my own object lesson. So I'm going to turn around here. This is, um, this is oil, it's olive oil, and this is vinegar, balsamic vinegar. Don't tell my wife that I'm doing this over the living room carpet. But as I pour this in here, you'll notice that there is a separation. These two things just naturally don't combine. They separate. And the word this morning is segregate. So I'm going to shake this up a little bit. And you can watch and see how long it takes for this to separate while I preach. 
especially if you get bored. It's also important for you to know that I'm an associate pastor at a black congregation, New Hope Missionary Baptist Church. On occasion, I preach, and when I preach, people help me. During the sermon, they're constantly giving me feedback, letting me know whether I'm moving in the right direction or wavering off course. So doing any kind of Zoom preaching is like shouting down a hole with no response. So to help me feel a little bit at home, I'm going to begin by praying the prayer we pray at New Hope when anyone preaches. So pray with me, would you? Lord, it's preaching time. I come as humbly as I know how. Hide me behind the cross, all of you and none of me. Speak to me and through me. Not my words, but your words. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. And certainly not my will, but your will be done. Anoint me as an oracle of the Most High God. Let your word go forth with power and conviction. That the saved would be more like you and the lost would come running to you. If I am too high, bring me down. If I am too low, lift me up. Clear our hearts and our minds so we may hear from you and that you may find glory in it all. Amen. I've got to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, New Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Pasco, Washington is a small, uh, largely black congregation situated on the east side of town, separated from the rest of town by an expanse of railroad tracks. Until eight years ago, the New Hope side of town didn't have sidewalks or gutters, and most of it didn't have sewers. Kennewick, this neighboring town where I currently live, is separated from Pasco by the Columbia River. Kennewick was a sundown town until the year I graduated from high school in 1978. That means that a sign hung above the bridge warning that all Blacks had to be on the Pasco side of the river by sundown or be arrested. The town in which I grew up in another part of the state had the same railroad tracks. It was always scary to travel across the railroad tracks to compete with kids who lived there. Unlike our schools with acres of grass, the schools we had to play baseball on at the other side of town were asphalt. The two boys against whom I wrestled in my weight division all through school, Anthony Pleasant and Larry Lovato, were tough. You want to know how tough? They were sent to prison my senior year for murdering their coach in a foiled drug deal. Their pastor was my parents' church custodian. That was the extent of my interaction with people who were different from me. Fear, suspicion, and ignorance characterized my understanding of people who lived on another side. The late Black evangelist Tom Skinner is credited to say 
the most segregated hour in America is 11 a.m. Sunday morning. I might add, the Church of America has persisted in maintaining a segregation that was dismantled by school systems in the 60s, restaurants dismantled in shopping centers, a segregation that the military and major sports, even beauty pageants, dismantled. But the church in America has largely resisted desegregation. It remains largely segregated, and I believe is to blame for the polarization we are currently experiencing in our country. So you see, the hope I feel when I see Newton Covenant Church, when I'm led in prayer this morning by Harold, when the church looks like, this is what the church looks like when the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of that congregation. I remember the first time I attended Silver Lake Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles when there was an outpouring of the Spirit. I was greeted at the door by an older gentleman in a three-piece suit and a smile a mile wide. I was escorted to my pew by a young man with purple spiked hair, a studded choker and black leather, black eyeliner with piercings over most of his face and tats everywhere else. The skater kids all sat on the floor up front, the rockers played in the band and the dancers were in the aisles. It was a mixture of everything in Hollywood. Associates, retired people, punk street kids, skaters, all drawn together for one purpose, Christ. There could be no other sense to make of it. The two texts of scripture before us this morning offers us a view of what is at the heart of the gospel and what threatens the gospel. The first point Paul makes is that we are all born foreigners. For we are not born citizens of the kingdom. For most of us here, we're not even born with a citizenship in Israel. We are born ignorant of God's promises and without awareness of God's presence. We're hopeless. We're aimless. Paul's statement but now in Christ Jesus, who once you were, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, that's not just a statement about his atoning sacrifice. It's a statement about the incarnation. God came to us, shared our blood type. Jesus overcame the segregation sin had created between us and God. Through his birth, God moved to our side of town, and we were brought near, nearer than ever before. And then Christ created a path to citizenship to the kingdom through his death on the cross. Paul contends that God's purpose from the beginning was to create a whole new humanity a fellowship where we all belong, a communion with God, united through a single act of sacrifice, Christ's death on the cross. 
The walls we erected through culture, through class, through gender, through race, through slave and free were all torn down by Christ Jesus. He outflanked us. Before Christ, we lived believing that God was angry, brooding, waiting to judge, waiting to pounce and condemn. We actually twisted God's face into the image of ourselves. We have been afraid, suspicious, ashamed, and ignorant ever since our great rebellion in Eden. God has been trying to correct our image of him ever since. And because we fear God, we fear anyone created in the image of God. We create cultures and rules to keep us safe from each other, to know who's in and who's out. But Jesus breached those walls and entered into our death, our alienation. He absorbed our hostility. God himself disarmed us by absorbing our hate, revealing our fear, disarming our suspicion, and informing our ignorance. And Paul says, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word in the Greek for build together means to use the parts of one building and add it to another building to create a new building. They do that a lot in the Middle East. And dwelling is a word of intimacy, of family. It's not just about architecture here. Paul is describing a new life together. And then Paul used this astounding word, naos, which means temple. Our relationships is where worship happens. The relationships you form here at Newton Covenant Church is an act of worship. It's not just for worship. You reveal something of God in the world when we gather. And the sacrifices you make to care for one another, despite or through your differences, is an act of worship. You are a new people. God is doing this work in and through you as a congregation that is a hope for the community. And it doesn't take much. Just a little bit of leaven begins to work in amazing ways. But this hope is also fragile. It, it must not only be cherished and celebrated, but nourished. And that's our second text. It's such a confusing text. But the pressure to polarize is all around us. We read about it and we hear about it every day. There is this massive cultural polarization happening. 
the polarization in Antioch started innocently enough. Paul and Barnabas had been in Antioch for almost a year, teaching and witnessing the conversion of many, many people. Peter joined them, actually, from Jerusalem to be part of the teaching team. Peter felt comfortable eating with the Gentiles of Antioch ever since his experience with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who his whole, he and his whole family had come to Christ. Um, Peter had come to understand that the gospel was much bigger, much broader, was transnational, multicultural. And that reflected, that was reflected in Antioch. Peter felt comfortable eating with the Gentiles, enjoying their, their hospitality, and he'd been an essential part of teaching. And Antioch was this multicultural, multinational, metropolitan trade center through which the gospel had come after Stephen's murder and, and this great persecution that broke out in Jerusalem. But when some representatives from Jerusalem came for a visit, Peter was sensitive to their discomfort. He knew they hadn't been on that side of the tracks. The visitors still believed that full inclusion into this new branch of Judaism required circumcision and keeping basic table manners and, and hand washing and food rules. These folks avoided contamination with the Greek believers. So out of deference to these visitors and wanting to avoid another confrontation, which Paul was known for, Peter withdrew from the Antioch Gentiles and limited his fellowship to the Jewish visitors. Thus, if someone in Antioch, a Gentile in Antioch, wanted to spend some time under Peter's tutelage, they had to agree to conform to the Jewish rules. It wasn't that Peter wanted to alienate anyone. He just agreed it was simpler this way. Thus, one group became two. Natural segregation. I was working with a young uh, black client of mine, um, a very gifted athlete and struggling with depression and some other interesting kind of um, struggles. But he would describe going to school and how he was, he, he enjoyed all kinds of people, but only people of color congregated around certain tables um, in the cafeteria. And that bothered him. He didn't know how to change that or how to bridge that. And so it just became more comfortable for him to eat alone. It's natural to segregate ourselves. But this is why Paul confronts Peter. You are a Jew. 
yet you've been living like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul's, Paul is saying that's not in line with the gospel. All those artificial customary walls were taken down by Christ. He bridged every one between heaven and earth and between each of us. After the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter marches, a couple of white pastors who knew that I identified with the Black community asked if I would help facilitate an introduction to some Black pastors in the community. They didn't know any Black people and didn't know where to begin. So I spoke to the lead pastors of some of the Black congregations and asked if they were interested in meeting some white pastors who were curious about being black. Two of the five pastors agreed. And we began by alternating in each of their churches. And we wondered what would we talk about for the white pastors, it was the first time they'd ever been on that part of town. So they were nervous. For the black pastors, they knew that part of town, the white part of town quite well because they had to work there and visit there. And they had to be already bicultural, you see. I suggested that we begin simply by each person telling their story. So Wayne told the story of growing up in poverty in Mississippi Delta and his grandmother being raped at gunpoint by the white landlord while Wayne and the other children had to wait outside. And when his grandfather threatened to complain, some men in a pickup came and burned their house down. That was the beginning of his migration story. Another told the story of flee fleeing Louisiana when his father, also a preacher, became too popular and he was warned that he'd be lynched if he didn't leave the parish. And how he had grown up in the, the dirt streets of East Pasco. And his only way out was sports and he became a lead running back for the University of Washington. But the struggle that he had as he had more and more white friends and Black folks suspect, suspected that he was somehow betraying his own people. Another told the story of growing up near Darlington Raceway in South Carolina and always moving and never feeling like he belonged because his father was an itinerant preacher. The stories became connections. And the connections became relationships. 
and the relationships have evolved into friendships. We read James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, and grew and 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 grew a deeper appreciation for black suffering and the atone and the atonement and the history of ecclesiastical silence. And then one of them suggested we find a way to worship together. Now came the complications. Where? Where would we do this? In one of the churches? At a neutral place? The park? The event center? Should we make it a special service or doing a regular church service? How long a service? How inconvenient do we dare make it for our congregations? Which choir sings and what songs? Who preaches? Do we rope off sections of the congregation for each church? Or do we ask them to mingle? Well, gosh, what about people who have their favorite place to sit in the church and someone happens to take their place by mistake? Who gets the offering? Mm. Do you think we covered the basics? Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot more. But I'm not going to bore you with the rest. All I'm going to say is that it takes an act of the Holy Spirit to enable something like this to happen. Because it is the Spirit that holds us together. Certainly not our egos. We're certainly not held together by our fears. We are, in this group each in our own way, I experience a, a kind of Simon Peter conversion. Really being challenging to each other to go deeper, to find our common sense of belonging in Christ. So how do you nourish this amazing thing that the Spirit has begun at Newton Covenant. There are many ways, but I'll tell you to begin with only one. Find someone in your fellowship who is as different from you as you can imagine. It could be young, old, they could be racially different. They could have a handicap of some kind. They could have something that tells you that they might be really different from you. And introduce yourself to them. Learn their name. Learn how to spell their name and ask them, would you mind telling me your story? What story would that be, they might ask. Whatever story that would help you get to know them better. The story that is really important to them as they think about their life. And your job in that is just to listen. It could be their story of faith. It could be their story of transition. 
or struggle. It could be their story of, of family or of loss. Just listen. Don't interrupt. Look at them while they speak. Nod your head when you hear something that you relate to. Raise your eyebrows when you hear something surprising or that impresses you. Only be curious and ask, if you must, can you tell me more about that? And all the while, all the while, look for God, signs of God's story woven into their story. If they believe you want to know, they will tell you. And in the end, when they know you have really listened and given them that gift of time and attention, they will feel loved and known. And you will feel blessed to have been entrusted with someone's sacred story. That's how two become one. So how's our object lesson going? Oh, it's separated. Hmm, still separated. What binds together naturally opposing elements like olive oil and balsamic vinegar? <laughs> when I was in California, I had the joy of eating at Armenian restaurants a lot. And when you sit down at an Armenian restaurant, the first thing they do is they put a plate in front of you and they pour olive oil in the center of the plate. And in the center of the olive oil, they pour balsamic vinegar. And then they give you a piece of bread. And the bread is for dipping. You dip it in the oil and the balsamic. And the bread is what binds it together. Something you wouldn't think of. Bread as a binder. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who binds us together. I will bind you together. I will break down the wall of hostility and bring you, absorb you into me. May God make this so in each of our hearts. Amen.